Pastor Javen will continue looking at the implications of the resurrection for those who choose to follow Christ. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's worship. I do have a confession I want to make as we get started today. Confession. Uh, when, when I find out about something good, it's really good, a lot of times I want to keep that something good to myself. I'll give you, for example, you know, we got a lot of really good restaurants in Camden. Y'all know that? Y'all realize? In, in Lugoff and the surrounding area and little holes in the wall. And sometimes these restaurants aren't that huge. They're not that big. So they don't have a lot of tables to sit at. And when I discover that that restaurant's good, I might not want to tell you about it. Because if I want to go to that restaurant and I go to their place and all the tables are taken and I can't sit down, I'm not going to be happy. So I might not want to let you know about that restaurant. That's a bad thing, isn't it? That's not good. You're like, David, that's horrible. You're supposed to be a pastor. You're supposed to be nice. You want to bless these businesses. I do with my service. I want to go. So we'll just, I'll just go at 4.30 in the evening and eat early. And then you, I know you won't be there because nobody goes and eats that early, right? And, and there's also, yesterday, my wife and I, we, we traveled all over Columbia looking. I love this thing called Dole Whip. Uh, it's a ice cream that I thought was only served in uh, Disney. I learned today that it's actually served in other restaurants. And I'm not going to tell you where those are because I don't want you to know about it. But, uh, but it's not really a Disney product. It's actually Dole. Dole makes it. And uh, they've actually started packaging this product and selling it nationwide. And so I was on a search. I couldn't find it. I actually ran into a family from the church here while I was looking. I almost didn't realize it was them because I was on a mission trying to find Dole Whip, right? So if you find Dole Whip anywhere in a grocery store, please let me know. And I promise you, I won't tell anybody else. It'll just be our secret. Uh, we'll keep that to ourselves. We started looking at some implications that come with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the fact that one of the implications to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we don't wait for one day to live. We don't wait for eternity to live with him. We can live with Christ now. This is what Jesus taught Martha and Mary at the resurrection of Lazarus is what he gave us through his resurrection. He pointed out the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. We don't have to wait for life. We can have life now through him. Last week, we looked at the implication through the resurrection that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we we no longer have to live in bondage to sin. It's like these songs we sing about it. The name of Jesus, his spirit gives us victory over this, this bondage, over these addictions. Through the death of Jesus Christ, we were released from the penalty of sin. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were released from the power of sin. Right? It's, it's, I, it's not that I'm saying you can be a perfect person, but you can be a, perf- a person being perfected by the grace of Jesus Christ until that day you meet him face to face. Amen. I want us to look at another implication that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And it goes with that passage of scripture that Lori read for us this morning. And it relates to uh, what I jokingly shared to you about just a second ago. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled into a relationship with God. We are reconciled into a relationship with our creator, with our heavenly father. But that reconciliation isn't just for us. When we're reconciled to the father, another implication of that and the implication that comes from that resurrection is we are called to go and be ministers of reconciliation. 
and the reconciliation that Jesus wants to bring to the world around him. The resurrection became a catalyst for the mission of the church. It became a catalyst that spearheaded what the early church would do. I want us to see that this morning. And that mission was to reflect the kingdom of God and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that anyone went. We are reconciled in relationship with the Father and we are called to be ministers of that reconciliation. At the end of Matthew's gospel, it's the first gospel in the New Testament we see. Matthew was a tax collector, wrote this gospel, gave us an account of the life of Jesus from his perspective and from walking with Jesus. Matthew writes at the end of his gospel, chapter 28, he starts it by telling us the account of when two Marys went to visit Jesus's tomb. And as they're on the way, this angel appears all of a sudden and he rolls the stone that's in front of the tomb away, gets it away from the tomb. He tells us that there's Roman guards and soldiers standing around the tomb watching. Now he tells us that they faint. They pass out out of fear, (laughs) which I kind of think is great. But um, these mighty soldiers guarding the tomb of Jesus so that no one can get to it. One angel appears, Matthew tells us, moves the tomb, moves the stone away. Then he sits on top of the stone. And the two Marys get there and they they arrive, they walk up, and there's the angel sitting on top of the stone, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. And um, some some of you got that? All right. Um, And he looks at them and and he tells them not to be afraid. I love that he didn't tell the guards not to be afraid. He told Marys, he said, don't be afraid. And then he said, come and see the empty tomb. Watch what he tells him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. He isn't here. Amen? He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. And then he tells him, come, see where his body was lying. In other words, it's not there anymore. He invites the ladies to come and see a resurrected Jesus, a tomb of a resurrected Jesus. And then he tells them this, watch. He says, now go quickly and tell his disciples. The Marys were invited into the tomb to come and see an empty tomb. And then they were led to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of them to Galilee. You will see him there. And he says, remember what I told you. So in other words, what the angel is telling them is he says, okay, ladies, come in and see this empty tomb. Come and discover that Jesus is resurrected. And as they come in and discover the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus is no longer there, he leads them to go and tell his disciples that he's been resurrected. And the disciples go out, or the ladies go, and they find the disciples and tell them, look, Jesus is risen. He's in, he's in Galilee, and he's invited you to come and see him there. And so the disciples go, they go there to meet Jesus, to come and see. Now, when the two Marys left the tomb and they went with excitement to, to find the disciples, it tells us that they were frightened, but they were also filled with joy. <laughs> you ever had those kind of dichotomy of emotions in your life? <laughs> just all kind of stuff just going on inside of you, right? Well, these, they were running. They were probably afraid of what's going to happen next. What is the next thing? What's, what's, What's the next process here? What's gonna, is something going to happen to us because of all this? But they were filled with joy because what Jesus had been proclaiming was true. The reason that they had been following Jesus for the last three years was justified. 
And so they were full of joy and couldn't wait to get back to the disciples to tell him, Jesus is waiting on y'all to come and see him there. So they get to Galilee and it's a Galilee that Jesus gathered his disciples before he ascends back to be with his father. And he tells them these famous words that have become known as the great commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 28, verse 18. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. He's got the authority. God who sent him has given him authority. And he does this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that authority that God sent him with, he's sending the disciples with to go and make. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise, not just for them, but for you. Because he said he would be with you to the end of the age. The age has not ended. We're still going until Christ returns. So here's what I want you to understand this morning. Here's what I want you to see is that there's an invitation to follow Christ that starts with an invitation to come and see, come and discover who Jesus is. But that invitation to come and see and come and discover, it always leads to a call to go and tell. This is what happens in the passages that we just saw with the Marys. It's what happens with the disciples. And it's what has been happening since Jesus began to walk this earth with them. He in the beginning, in the Gospels, when we see the disciples being called, John chapter 1 is one example. We see Andrew is with his friends, and they meet Jesus, and they ask Jesus, where are you staying? And so Jesus simply looks at him and invites him. He says, why don't you come and see? And what Jesus is inviting them to do is, is he's inviting them to an opportunity to come and discover more about him, to come and find out more about who he is to get more revelation and understanding. And so as Andrew does that, Andrew goes and he discovers Jesus. And Andrew goes and he finds his brother Peter and he tells Peter, John tells us. Andrew goes and he finds Peter and says, Peter, you have got to come and see this guy that I've met, Jesus. We see in John 2 that, uh, John also that Jesus meets Philip and he calls Philip to come and follow him. And Philip, as he discovers more about Jesus, he goes and finds his brother, Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, you have got to come and see this man that I have met. Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Come and see. Come and discover more about him. There's all these invitations of coming and seeing, but it wasn't just with the disciples. When you get to John chapter 4, for one example, you see the woman, we know her as the woman at the well. When Jesus met her, it was a Samaritan woman and he met her and he had a conversation with her and he, he, he tried to show her how he was the one that she was really thirsting for in life. That yes, yeah, she was physically there to get water for her home and for herself and for them to drink, but she had been searching in her life through five different men for another thirst. And Jesus is explaining to her, he says, look, I am what you are thirsting for in this life. And as she discovers more about Jesus, John tells us that she goes back to her home and she finds the people there and she tells them, y'all have got to come and see this man that I've met, this prophet who is telling me everything about me and what I'm looking for. Following Christ starts with an invitation to come and see, to come and discover. And it always leads to a call to go and tell because you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. You've received that invitation probably at some point in your life. It's 
probably why you're here. If you're watching online, it's why you're watching online. You've received some type of invitation to discover more about Jesus. And many of you are far along in your journey and discovering more and more about Jesus. And the more you discover about Jesus, the more you realize you want to tell others about Jesus. Some of you are the beginning phases of discovering more about Jesus. And I pray the more that you discover, the more it impacts you and the more it leads you to want to tell others about Jesus. Because the thing is, when you, when you discover more about Jesus, you find out and you realize that Jesus wants from you more than just inquiry. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to live your life with him. He wants you it, it not just to be a initial discovery. He wants it to be a lifelong discovery of journeying with him, of following him. And when you follow him, he will make you into who you have originally been created to be. He will make you into a person that draws others to him. I love when Matthew and Mark tell the story of Peter and Andrew meeting Jesus. And as they discover more about who Jesus is, Peter and Andrew were fishermen. They fished. They oftentimes didn't do it well, but they fished. And Jesus comes along and Jesus helps them get better at their profession of fishing. But then Jesus looks at him and he tells him, he says, guys, if you come and follow me, don't just come and see me. Don't just have an initial discovery of who I am, but you literally journey with me and discover more and more and more about me. He looks at me, he says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men, not just fishermen, but fishers of men. Now, it's a great phrase. I love it. It's a powerful phrase, impactful visual for us, especially using in the church as, as a tool for evangelism, reaching out and finding others. I'm not just fisherman. I'm a fisher of men. That's, and that is true. There's truth in that. But I want us to see the depth to what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was pointing to their profession and calling out something in them. He was declaring their call by referencing their profession and what they did for a living. Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, guys, there is a deeper meaning to what you do every day of your life. So I want you to think about this. Have you ever truly considered, have you ever truly thought about that maybe God has gifted you with a skill, not just to be able to use that skill as a tool to make money, but to use that skill as a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has gifted you with a purpose and for a reason, I was talking to a gentleman on the phone this week, goes to this church. I won't share his name because I didn't ask permission to share the story. But it's a great story. I don't think he would care. He was talking to me about one of the jobs he had the other, uh, a few weeks back or a couple months back. And uh, this is a man of many talents, many skills, does a lot of different things. This day, he was actually cleaning up and helping a, a lady on her ranch with her horses. And he was in the process of actually shoveling horse manure. And the woman walked out to him and she called him by name and she asked him, she said, how are you always so happy? You have a smile on your face all the time. Why are you so, you're shoveling horse manure. Why are you so happy? And he looked back at her and he said, do you really want to know why I'm happy? Do you really want to know? And she said, yes, I really want to know. And that's why I'm asking you the question. He says, it's because of Jesus Christ. And she's like, What? what does Jesus Christ have to do with what you're doing right now? And he told her, he said, look, Jesus Christ gave his life for me. He died on a cross for me. He's resurrected and living again. 
and he did it all so that I could have life with the Father. And what he, if Jesus Christ can die for me, he said, I can do everything I do for him and I can do it with joy. And, and then he encouraged her. He said, you know, you can have that same joy. <laughs> you can be happy like that too. He, and then he encouraged her to read the gospels. But he said, because the gospels tell the life of Jesus Christ. These are people that either walked with Jesus or they lived in that time and they researched it heavily. Like Luke, who at the very beginning of his gospel says, I have researched thoroughly everything that happened in the time of Jesus. He said, read these gospels. He said, in fact, most people say, start with John and just discover what you can about Jesus through those gospels. And so it was several weeks later, he goes back to work at her ranch again. And she comes out to him and she tells him, I've been reading those gospels and you're right. That's pretty powerful stuff. Listen, we make going and telling way more difficult than it needs to be. All it is, is all you have to do is share what God has done in your life. Be honest, be real, be truthful, share what he's done for you. Share your life struggles and how Jesus has helped you in those and watch how he can impact through you and through your story. Listen, I heard it said this way. Once you have been uniquely wired and uniquely placed for unique opportunities. And that's true. Every person in this room is uniquely wired. You have been gifted in ways that are different than the way I've been gifted. You have talents and skills and things that I don't have. Which means you have opened doors into lives that I don't have. And the same is true for me. That's different than you. But we are all uniquely wired and uniquely placed with unique opportunities. God has opened those doors for us because as you come and discover and see who he is and you follow him, you'll be led to go and tell others about that. And that's exactly what Jesus is reminding the disciples at this time after his resurrection, before he ascends back into heaven. Guys, you're my disciples. You have followed me. You have spent time with me. You have journeyed with me. You have discovered so much about me and what I've taught you in these three years. And you're still going to learn more and more and more. He said, but as you are my disciples, you are empowered to go and make disciples. To make disciples. Jesus doesn't want people just to say a prayer and ask God to forgive them of his sins. He wants that, but it's got to be more than that. He wants more than that. He wants you to begin to follow him and see your life change. He wants disciples, people hungry for God. You know that in the early church, when you look in the New Testament, you discover more about the early church. They were not called Christians to begin with. It was later in Antioch, as ministry had already been happening, that we see the term Christian first being used. It's Acts chapter 11, verse 26. We see this reference. It starts this way. Luke is writing this because, again, everything he researched led him to write two books, not just one. What happened with Jesus and what happened with the early church. That's Acts. And so he says, Barnabas goes back to Tarsus to find Saul, also called Paul, because God had changed Paul's life. And Barnabas reluctantly goes to Tarsus to get Paul and bring him back. But he realized Paul is changed. Because he saw a resurrected Jesus. And they began to share with all the other disciples the good news of Jesus. And they saw the, the, the church 
work together for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And then watch what Luke says. People started calling them in Antioch. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. This is what other people around them started calling them. Most scholars believe that it was a derogatory thing. They were looking at them and saying, look at these little Christ walking around here, all talking about Jesus. He's a little Christ. And that's how it's perceived. The word Christian, that word is only used three times in the New Testament to talk about followers of Christ. The word disciple is used 281 times to talk about followers of Christ. Do you realize that he wants you to receive more than a label? He wants you to receive an identity. You, you don't become, a, you, you don't accept Christ just to receive a label of Christian. You accept Christ to follow him and receive an identity of a disciple. And as you do that, and as you follow him, he will make you into what he's created you to be. And he will lead you to go and tell others of what he's done for you, but what he's done ultimately for the world. Because there's no such thing as a disciple that doesn't end up reproducing. Everything about God's living creation points to the fact that God creates living things to reproduce. Every living thing. And he creates his disciples to reproduce. And all that happens by scattering seed. We scatter the seed of God's word. We scatter the seed of his truth. And as we do that, we see life in Christ reproduced in others. God's plan for reaching the world. It's not just huge ministries with big platforms. That happens and that's great. But God's plan for reaching the world was laid out right here by Jesus with his disciples. He looked at 12 guys and he said, go and make more disciples. Well, actually at that point it was 11. And he said, go and make more disciples and multiply through your relationships, through your teaching. God's discipleship strategy is not something, it's someone. It's you, it's me. It's working together through relationships to grow, to go and tell of the love of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus was telling these disciples at, after his resurrection in front of these guys. And it was the resurrection of Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that empowered them to go and tell. And I want to point something out here that happens too in between the time that the two Marys see an empty tomb and they go to the disciples and the disciples go to Gal- Galilee. Matthew continues to tell us about these Roman guards who were at the tomb. And he tells us that they go back to the priest who had ordered this. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 28, who who ordered this this persecution of Jesus, this crucifixion of Jesus, this death of Jesus. And so the Roman guards go to these priests and they tell them what happened. They tell them about the tomb being empty. They tell them about the angel. They tell them about... I don't know if they tell them about them fainting. Maybe you can't say that, right? We faint no. We stood there, but we've, we, we had to go. But I don't know what they did. But they're telling them about an empty tomb. The priests don't go to see the empty tomb. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us whether or not they invite the priests to go look at it themselves. Maybe they did. He doesn't tell us they did. But there's no invitation to come and see, as far as we know. And there's no interest to go and discover from the priest. So rather than exploring the truth... They just immediately begin to come up with lies. And they tell the guards, 
You just go, you just need to go tell everybody that the disciples came in the middle of the night and stole the body. And that continues to be something that people try to say. But the guards, understanding and realizing what the actual truth was, because they saw an empty tomb, they saw an angel roll it away, knowing the truth, instead accepted the lies. Why? Because they didn't want to surrender their power. They didn't want to surrender their control, which really is kind of humiliating that they have to go and admit that Jesus' body was stolen right from under their eyes. I mean, how is that more empowering? But they choose to accept the lie despite the truth they knew. But so often it happens. People discover Jesus and they can't deny there's no way to deny the fact that he rose from the grave. People have been trying to do it ever since it happened. And no one has successfully denied that Jesus Christ was risen from the grave. But even though there's no denying, people still accept why. Why? Because they know if the implications of a resurrection Jesus is true, and I choose to follow Jesus, then that means I have to accept the implications that come with following a resurrected Jesus. And they don't want to accept those implications. Because sometimes in life, God's going to want us to go right when we want to go left. And God's going to want us to go left when we want to go right. And there's going to be things that we have to take off and lay down and give up and surrender to him. So we'll just embrace other things that are lies instead of embracing the truth. But the disciples knew the truth. They knew who Jesus was. They lived this life personally and listened to the teachings of Jesus. They knew the true resurrection and the life. They knew the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. They went and they discovered an empty tomb that was no longer a body lying in it. They saw a resurrected Jesus who came and met with them inside a house as they were hiding because they didn't know what was going to happen next. Here comes Jesus resurrected, showing the holes in his hands and his feet. They had breakfast with Jesus, a resurrected Jesus on the shores of Galilee. They ate with him. They were empowered by a resurrected Jesus to continue the mission of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is what took a doubting Thomas and turned him into a fearless witness for Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is what took a coward and Peter who was hiding and turned him into a bold leader of the early church. Seeing a resurrected Jesus is what took a man by the name of Saul and changed him from a ruthless murderer to a new man who changed his name to Paul and became a relentless missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is what empowered the mission to go and tell the world about who Jesus was. And the next thing we see happen is this movement that Jesus promised was going to start, what he called an ecclesia. When he said, my church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That word is ecclesia. And what that means is it means a, an assembly called out to the public. And this movement began 
after the resurrection of Jesus. And it happened so quickly and it spread so quickly. Nobody expected it to spread the way it did. And it spread through a group of people who had no resources or no public stature. The only thing they had was the truth of a resurrected Jesus. And that was enough. The resurrection empowered the mission to go and tell. The whole time they had been coming and seeing, the whole time they had been coming and discovering, now they were empowered to go and tell of this Jesus who was resurrected and could change their life forever, change people's lives forever. It was the catalyst for the mission of the church. The invitation to come and see leads to a relationship where you come and follow, which leads to a call where you live out every day going and telling of the good news of Jesus. And Jesus said, just like God sends me, I'm sending you. Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5. And notice that Paul didn't say that God needed to be reconciled to man. He said that man needed to be reconciled to God. Because God was not the one who moved. God's love never changed. God never stopped loving his creation and his people. The yearning in God's heart to be with his creation had never stopped. Even though man kept sinning and going against the will of God, God never stopped loving man and loving his creation. It wasn't God that needed to be moved towards man. It was man that needed to be moved to God and needed to be moved to surrender to God. Like we mentioned last week, a total, complete surrender to the Father. And it's what we still need to be moved to today. A complete surrender to God. And God took the initiative to end hostility between us and him by placing the account of our sins on Jesus Christ and making peace with us and him through the blood of Jesus Christ and then empowering us through his spirit that raised Christ from the dead to share that love with others. Paul, he wrote in his letter to the Church of Rome, he wrote it, about sharing that love this way to them. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, he said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? And he explains, he says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's by open declaring your faith that you are saved. So he's explaining what salvation is. Another part in this letter, he's saying that you confess that Jesus Christ is, You believe in your heart that he died on the cross and you confess that he is Lord, all right? Making that confession is a huge statement. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the, what? Lord will be saved. And then he he asks a series of important questions. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? All right, so he's saying, hang on a second, he's saying, they can't call on him to say, they got to believe him, believe he is who he is first, right? And then he asks another question. He says, well, how can they believe him if they don't ever hear about him? That's an important question. If they've got to believe in him to, to get saved, how are they going to believe in him if they don't hear about him? Something's got to happen there, right? Well, that's why he asked the next question. He says, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's an important, almost common sense question, right? If they're going to 
be saved, they've got to believe. Well, to believe, they've, they've got to hear about him. And to hear about him, somebody's got to tell about him. He's making a point. He asks one more question. He says, and how will anyone go and tell without them being what? Sent. And he makes the same. That's why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers that bring good news. But Jesus is reminding them. He's like, look, you have been sent. Jesus Christ, he stood there on the shore of Galilee. And he told his disciples with all authority that I've been given and that God sent me, he says, I now send you to go. And he's telling them, you have been sent. As you become a disciple of Christ, you are sent. That phrase, unless someone tells them, it's actually one word when you look in the Greek. It's the word herald. The word that's used for herald. A herald was someone that would go in on an assignment from an earthly king. They would go into a new territory and that herald would begin to do just that. Herald the news of the king that sent him. He'd begin to tell them information from the king that's about to come to their place. He would share the information that the king had given them to share. He was sent on authority of the king, his king, with the message that his king had given him to go share. And Paul is saying, that's you. That's me. That's all of us who follow Christ. You've been given a message of reconciliation is how he tells it to the church in Corinth and the church in Rome he explains it this way you've been sent to herald the message of Jesus all authority Jesus said he had and he sends you with that authority so when you go and you tell you are under the authority of the risen king and lord Jesus Christ and the message that you share is the message that he's given you to share What did he say? Go and teach them everything that I taught you. So just go share with them what Jesus, what you've learned from Jesus in his life, what he demonstrated to the disciples, what the disciples learned from him and what they demonstrate in the early church and what Jesus has been teaching you and showing you through his living word. And don't ever think that you don't have what it takes Because you do. Because you have him with you always. He said he would be with every disciple until the end of the age. His spirit is with you. And God is as close to making an impact on someone's life that you know as you are to them. Because as close as you are to them is an opportunity for God to work through you in them. The implication of the resurrection was that it set into motion the mission of his church. As we're reconciled with the Father, we are reconciled to a ministry, to a mission, to not just come and discover, to not just come and follow and keep it to ourselves and not tell anybody else about the good thing we found. We're called to go and tell and to go and share and to go invite others to discover exactly what you've discovered. This life-changing grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me today. 
I encourage you during worship this morning to intercede for somebody that you might know that maybe hasn't accepted the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. I imagine that you've got people in your life, relationships in your life that are great friendships. And those people maybe are probably great people. I'm sure of it. But they might just be missing the one thing that they absolutely need. And that's relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today. You might be that opportunity for them to discover Christ. And all it takes is just a simple invitation. Father, as we stand in this place today in these moments, as we end this service, God, I just pray that as we think about the people that we are around during our life, the people that we work with, the people that our kids may play sports with, the people that we may see at the gym and work out with, the people that we may find anywhere that we go and do things in this life and we've built relationships with. Father, I pray that you will help us to see the opportunities that lie in front of us to invite someone to discover you. To just open up your word. To find out who you are in their life. Who you want to be. What you've done for them. God, let us not make it more difficult than it needs to be. Help us not to be afraid of not having all the answers. Help us to just be bold to say, Jesus changed my life. If you discover him, he'll change yours too. God, for every person that might be on someone's heart right now, you know their name. You know what they're facing in this life. You know everything they're going through. So God, I just give that person to you. And I ask today that through relationships with others, they will find you. And maybe not even that, God, that that God, you're not limited. You can show yourself to them any way you choose. The woman at the well wasn't necessarily seeking you, but she found you. God, I pray that you would just use us as we follow you to go and tell of the goodness of who you are. Empower us, strengthen us. We've been commissioned. Help us to walk in that commission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's your assignment. Go this week. Tell others of the goodness of God. Go be catalysts for transformation. God bless you. 
If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.